It is an honor to be with you today. My name's uh, Matt Carter, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sagemont Church. Thank you for joining us today here in church at Sagemont Church. We're continuing through our series on the Lord's Prayer. Disciples asked Jesus how to pray. He said, pray then like this, and then he gave them a model for how they're supposed to pray. Last week, we looked at the first two words of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus was teaching us how to address God, and he says, first thing you do, rattle the blocks, you address God as our Father, that we're to primarily look at God as our Father that has unlimited love for us and availability to us. Well, today we're gonna look at the rest of the sentence. Um, We're gonna look at the rest of the sentence of the first line of the Lord's Prayer because he teaches us some very important things. So I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter six, verse nine. Disciples have asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Here's his response. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. All right, with the rest of the first sentence of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us two really important things. So if you're a note taker today, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the two points here that he's teaching us through the sermon, through the rest of the sentence. Point number one is that when you pray, you're to approach God in a way that recognizes a full picture of his character. All right, that's what he's doing there in the first part of the sentence. When you approach God, when you pray, approach God in a way that recognizes the full picture of his character. Now, point number two, when you pray, your first request is that the name of God would be glorified and exalted in your life. So that's your first request. We're going to talk about it here in a few minutes, that the name of God would be exalted and glorified through your life. And so let's take a minute here and let's look at that first point that he's showing us here that when you and I pray, you're to approach God in a way that recognizes the full picture of his character. What does that mean? Well, let's look at it again, Matthew 6, 9. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now, last week, again, we talked about those first two words, our Father, but then Jesus adds two more words to it, which is in heaven. And with those four words, check this out, those four words, Jesus is teaching us how to address God when we pray. He's teaching us how to think about God. He's teaching us how to approach God when we pray. And first and foremost, he said, when you come before the Lord, you need to remember that you are approaching your heavenly Father. He's your dad. He loves you. There is no availability, or no limit, rather, to his availability to you. But then he says, look, he's not just your father, but he says he is our father in heaven. Those are not meaningless words. Those are not throwaway words. You've heard them so many times, you probably don't even think about them, but they're meant, and hear this, they're meant to remind us that while, yes, we are approaching our father, we can never forget that we are approaching our father who is in heaven heaven. It's two words that are meant to remind us that while he's our father and there's no limit to his love for us or his availability to us, at the same time, he is still above us. Two words that are meant to remind us that while God is our near and he's our loving heavenly father, that at the same time, he is our holy and he is our transcendent king of kings and Lord of lords. So what Jesus is doing here to the first four words of the Lord's Prayer. 
is he is ensuring that we have a proper view of who God is, all right? And here's why, because Jesus doesn't want us to pray to God based on our personal view of him, but he wants us to pray to God based on who God really is. Did y'all catch that? If you were tuning out, you need to hear that. Jesus doesn't want us to pray to God based on our view of him, but he wants wants us to pray to God based on who he really is. And there's a big difference at times between the two because you see, all of us have a tendency um, to think about God, to view God, to approach God with these preconceived notions, right? With these um, preconceived ideas of who we think God is and, and what we think God is like. And the problem with that is sometimes who we think God is is not completely true to his character, okay? Let me explain what I mean by that. You see, God has different names. He's got different names, and each one of his names represents a different aspect of his character. For example, one of his names is the name Yahweh, and that's his personal name. Um, and the name Yahweh carries with it the idea that he's loving and that he's caring and that he's near to you, and it's this, it's this sort of warm, loving, personal, God is near to you kind of name, right? God has another name. Name Elohim. And Elohim is a name for God that doesn't demonstrate his nearness and his love, but it's a name of God that demonstrates his transcendence and his power. All right, now check this out. Been doing ministry for 27 years, and what I've noticed in those 27 years is that pretty much everybody, including myself, has a tendency to lean one way or another and how they primarily think about God, right? Some people are Yahweh people. They kind of, when they think about God, they think about him as this warm, tender, loving, heavenly father. And some people are Elohim people. When they think about God, they primarily think about God as this holy, transcendent, powerful king of kings and lord of lords. They lean one way or the other. They're, they understand he's both, but they think about him one way or the other. Uh, my wife, for example, she... Um, She's kind of primarily a Yahweh kind of girl, all right? And when she, was, when she was young, her mom and dad got divorced. And so her dad was pretty absent in her life. And here's the problem with that, is that she adored and adores her dad. She's a big-time daddy's girl. And so it left this void in her life that was just immense. It impacted her greatly. Well, when she was in the eighth grade, she gave her life to the Lord. She, she surrendered to Christ. She trusted in him as her Lord and Savior, but there was something that the Lord used to draw her to himself, to get her to the point where she gave her life to him. And it was this, there was this moment, excuse me, on a ski retreat um, in her eighth grade year where the Lord impressed upon her heart that he was her father. And it just sunk in that he was her dad and that he was never gonna leave her. and He was never gonna forsake her. He was always there. He loved her just the way that she is. And that is what the Lord used to draw her to him, that God is her heavenly daddy. And so that is just primarily how she views the Lord. I mean, she's a great theological scholar, but when she thinks about God, she thinks about God as this tender, loving, heavenly daddy. And that colors the way she prays to him. Now, on the other hand, I'm an Elohim guy. Got any Elohim folks in here? 
that when you think about God, your first and primary thought is not that he's this warm, awesome, loving, near, tender, heavenly father, but your first thought about him is that he is powerful and transcendent and just might take you out, right? That's me. And I I, I talked about last week that, um, that my earthly father is really colored the way I view God. Like, you know, he was a great dad. He really was an amazing dad. He was always there for me, provided for me. He was, he's amazing, but he was critical. He's one of these dads that drove me. I got a text a couple of days ago from my dad. He said, son, I listened to your sermon. And I was like, He's like, I'm so sorry for doing, and I'm like, look, dad, look, if, if, you're a, if you're a family member of a pastor, you're gonna get thrown under the bus eventually. I was like, you're a great dad. And so dad, I love you, man, you're awesome. And, uh, but anyway, so not only did he drive me, which at the end of the day, probably helped me a ton, I probably needed it, um, but he was this hulking figure in my life. John Carter, Johnny Lee Carter is six foot four, all right, I'm six foot one. He's six foot four, and so to this day, I literally physically look up to my dad. He is a big man, weighs about 260. And you know, when you're 11, that's pretty big, right? And so not only was he six foot four, about 260, but he was a captain in the Dallas Fire Department. He's a man's man. You know, he's running into fires when everybody else is running out. He is a man's man, and I had a healthy fear of him. And one of the things that cemented my fear of the man happened when I was about 13, 14 years old. I couldn't remember my, my sister, who was four years older than me. She and I were fighting, and uh, that's what brothers and sisters do. And, and our voices began to get raised. We were actually in my dad's bedroom. He was down the hallway, and he can see in the kitchen. He could see down the hallway to his bedroom door. We were just inside his bedroom door. We were yelling at each other, and she began to kind of get in my face. She's an intense lady, and she got in my face, and, and I had learned at that point that you do not hit your sister or that you do not lay hands on your sister, and so I, I intentionally just kind of wanted to create some distance. I put my hands on her shoulder and just created some distance, but as I pushed her back, there was a dresser right here. Her foot hit the dresser, and she fell, boom, back into the hallway. And so big Johnny Lee saw all this happen. And so all John Carter knows, all my dad knows is that, you know, my son and my daughter are yelling at each other and all of a sudden my sister comes flying out into the hallway on her back. So he thought I'd hit her. And I, as I, I was like, oh, oh gosh. And I'm kind of moving forward and I hear this. I was like, oh God, help me. I am about to die. He comes in, he thought I'd hit her and knocked her into the hallway. He grabbed my throat, kind of what she shouldn't do, but he grabbed my throat and pushed me up against the wall and he looks at me and he said, son, if you ever lay a hand on your sister again, I'm gonna end your life. You know, I'm the, brought to, I'm the one that brought you into this world, I'm gonna take you out, right, kind of a thing. And by the way, dad, I would've done the same thing if my kids did that, so you're good. But anyway, I think that colored the way that I view God. I think that there's a lot of things that color the way we view God. I'm an Elohim guy. When I think about God, I think about his power. I think about his transcendence. I first and foremost think about his holiness. And so I have a tendency when I sin and when I mess up to start listening for the heavy footsteps coming down the hallway. You know, maybe, just maybe God is going to take me out. 
So I want you to think about that for a second. Which be a good conversation at lunch? Which way do you lean? You know, which, which way do you lean? Some of you have a tendency to think about God primarily as loving and tender and fatherly. Some of you primarily think about his power and transcendence and holiness. And that's why right out of the blocks, Jesus is teaching us to approach God in prayer in a way that recognizes both aspects of his character. It's critical. First and foremost, he's your dad. You're a co-heir with Christ. He loves you and he feels about you the same way he does his son. But at the same time, you can't, um, you can't forget that he's not just this grandfatherly figure in the sky that heals all your spiritual boo-boos, but he's God. He's the Lord. He's, he's Elohim. He's powerful. And so Jesus is saying, look, here's the deal. When you think about God, when you approach God, you've got to do that not based on your view of him, but you've got to do that based on who he really is. And who he really is is your father in heaven. And so when I pray, I, I, I do. I regularly take some time in my prayer life to take a moment when I get started to recognize both aspects of his character. I'll say, God, I, I recognize today that you are my dad. I need to remind myself of that today. You love me. You think about me and you view me the way you do your son, Jesus, because I'm a co-heir with Christ. Thank you, Father. But at the same time, I would remember that you're God, that you're transcendent, that you're holy. And as I pray today, help me by the Spirit keep those things in mind. So that's point number one. When you pray, approach God in a way that recognizes a full picture of his character. All right, now we're gonna look at point number two which is Jesus is gonna teach us the very first thing that we're supposed to pray after you address God and look at a full picture of his character, okay? So he does, comes out, says, here's how you view God, approach God, both aspects of the character. He's your father who's in heaven. And then he's gonna tell you with the rest of the sentence, the very first thing you are supposed to ask for when you pray. Now, you guys, if you remember my first sermon in the series, I talked about but a lot of times I have a tendency in prayer to approach God in prayer the way that my college students approach me, which um, they come up, they say hi, and they immediately start asking for stuff, right? I do the same thing. God, you're God in heaven. You're my father in heaven. Hey, God, here's what I need you to do for me. Well, in the first line of the Lord's Prayer, all right, Jesus teaches us to ask for something. We're supposed to ask for something in the first line of the Lord's Prayer, but what he teaches us to ask for has very little to do with us and it has pretty much everything to do with him. And so let's read this together, Matthew 6, 9. She said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, and then he says, hallowed be your name. Okay, so you enter time of prayer, you address God, you recognize both aspects of his character, and then Jesus said the very first thing you ask God for in prayer, the first thing out of the box, your first request is that the name of God would be hallowed through your life. Now, if you're like me, first time you heard that, you go, what does hallowed mean? Because I can't remember if I've ever used that in a sentence before, right? How many of y'all ever said hallowed in a sentence if you weren't quoting this, ver this uh, verse here? What does it mean that he's saying that the first thing we should pray for is that the name of God would be hallowed in our life? Well, the English word hallowed comes from the Greek word hagiazo. And the Greek word hagiazo means this. To give something or someone the highest place 
of honor and glory. That's what it means. That's, that's hallowed. To give something or someone the highest place of honor and glory. You see that in the Olympics. If you, you got three go, uh, medals. You got the bronze medal, the silver medal, and the gold medal. And the bronze medal is kind of down here. And then the silver medal, which is second place, is kind of right here. And then the gold medal has the highest place. It gets the highest stand. And that, that's, a, that's to show that this guy won. This guy's tops. This guy got first place. He's above everybody else. And that is a picture of what it means to hallow something. You're giving it the first and the highest place of glory and honor. And so when Jesus says, when you pray, the first thing you're asking for is the name of God to be hallowed. What he's literally saying is this. First thing you ask God for is, God, I want your, everybody look at me. Saying, God, I want your name. That's the first thing you're asking. God, I want your name to be given the highest place of glory and honor in my life. That's what you're asking for. Now, why is that the first thing we're supposed to ask for? Because the first thing we're asking for is for the name of God to have the highest, most exalted, most glorified place in our life. Well, you get the sense that if Jesus was teaching us to pray that, which he was, then you get the sense that when Jesus prayed, that's what he was praying. If he taught us to pray that first, that's probably what Jesus was praying first. Let me ask you guys a question. Why would Jesus pray first, God, I want your name to be exalted in my life. God, I want your name, my Father in heaven, I want your name to be lifted high and glorified. Why would Jesus pray that first? Here's the answer, don't miss this, listen carefully. I'm convinced that Jesus prayed that prayer first because when he prayed it, he was aligning his heart and aligning his mind with the primary purpose of his life. That he prayed this prayer, Father, I want your name to be hallowed, I want your name to be exalted because when he said those words, it reminded his mind and it aligned his heart with the primary purpose of his life. And what was the primary purpose of Jesus' life? It was to glorify and exalt the name of his father. That was the primary purpose of his life. Now listen, what I just said, the reason y'all didn't all go, amen, is because it's a concept that we don't talk much about. But it's as biblical as I'm standing right here on this stage. The primary purpose of Jesus' life was to glorify the name of the Father. It's an absolutely critical and biblical concept because we have a bad habit in our culture a bad habit in our culture at putting us, putting you and me at the center of the story of the cross. Got a bad habit of putting ourselves at the center of Jesus' purpose on earth, right? One example, if I were to ask you the question, if I were to ask you the question, what is the primary reason Jesus came to this planet and died on a cross? How would you answer the question? I think most of us would answer it this way. I put this up on the screen. I think most of us answer the question, Jesus came to this planet to die on a cross, pay the penalty of our sin, so that we, be, we can be reconciled back to the Father. And that would be a 100% accurate statement. Everything in that statement is accurate, except it would be incomplete. It would be incomplete. There's more. There's more to the purpose of Jesus coming to this planet. A more biblically accurate way to answer the question was the primary reason Jesus came to the planet would be this. Jesus came to this planet to glorify and exalt the name of God by dying on a cross 
paying the penalty of our sin and reconciling us back to the Father. Do you see the difference between the two? All right? First statement, you and I are at the center of the story. You and I are the focus of the story. But in the second one, God's glory is the focus of the story. And God's glory is the center of the story. And so listen, I want you to hear me really clearly. Make no mistake, Jesus came to this planet to die on a cross for you. But the primary reason he came to die on a cross for you was the glory of God. Now some of y'all are going, Matt, what in the crud are you talking about? What do you mean? Because the first time I heard that, I was like, huh? Let me show you what I'm talking about, if you don't believe me. Check out John 12, 27. John 12, 27. Go ahead and turn there if you want to. I'm going to get a drink of water. John 12, 27 occurs on the night, not the night, but the week before the cross. So it's Holy Week. Lord's Supper's coming up. Cross is coming up on Friday. He's got the disciples with him. He's talking to them about the cross. He's sort of calling a shot about the cross. And he, and he interestingly just comes right out and says what his purpose was for walking to the cross. And so let's look at it, John 12, 27. Jesus is speaking. He said, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But watch what he says. He says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And so Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, boy, you need to understand something. I'm about to drop a bomb on you. This is the reason. This is the purpose that I have come to the hour of the cross. And I want you to watch what he said his purpose was. John 12, 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose purpose. I have come to this hour. And then he says, Father, glorify your name. Those are two different verses, but we did not break those apart. That is one single sentence. Jesus literally looks at his disciples and said, for this purpose, I have walking to the cross. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. This is the father starts talking. What does God say? God says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Main reason Jesus walked to the cross, primary purpose, was that the name of God would be hallowed and exalted and given the highest place of his life. And he keeps going. Still not convinced. Short time later, Lord's Supper, washes the disciples' feet. Amazing picture. Takes the bread, he breaks it, dips in the cup, hands it to Judas. He looks at Judas, he says, what you gotta do, go do it quickly. Jesus stands up, walks out the door, doesn't say a word. Jesus goes to betray Jesus, sets in motion the events of the cross. And as Judas leaves the room, setting in motion the events that lead to the cross to go to betray him. I want you to watch the first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth when Judas leaves the room, John 13, 31. When he had gone out, that's Judas, when he had gone out, 
Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. All right, we get that wrong. We make, our, and make no mistake, I'll talk about it in a second. Make no mistake, he died for you, loves you. Died on a cross for you. There was something with a higher purpose going on and we get it backwards sometimes. There was a song that uh, came out several years ago. It got really popular. People sung it all over the country. Song by Michael W. Smith. And uh, it was a song that has this line in it that's talking about the cross and Jesus dying on the cross and being tortured and dying on the cross for us. And it was this line, here it is. Like a rose trampled on the ground. Y'all remember that song? Like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. Y'all see what's wrong with that line? I didn't let them sing it in my church in Austin because of two words. This line's talking about Jesus, talking about the resurrection, and part of the line is theologically accurate, and part of the line is absolutely not theologically accurate. Here was the theologically accurate part of the line. When Jesus was on the cross, he was thinking about you. Make no mistake. When he was on the cross, you were on his mind. I'm convinced the core of my being that that's true. So it's completely accurate to say that he took the fall and thought of me. I'm convinced that you can say that with all sincerity and truth. But here's the completely inaccurate part, biblically, the line, he took the fall and thought of me above all. He wasn't thinking of you above all. Above all, what he was thinking of was the glorifying of the name of his father. Above all, what he was thinking of was the exaltation of the name of God. And that's why Jesus said, when you hit your knees, you address God as your father who's in heaven, and then the first thing you're requesting is, God, I want your name to be exalted and to give him the highest place in my life. That's what he's saying. Well, the rest of my time today, here's what I'm gonna do. Quickly, I'm gonna give you three reasons, three reasons why you need to pray first that the name of God would be exalted and glorified and given the highest place in your life. Three reasons, I'll be done. Reason number one. Praying first for God's name to be hallowed reminds us that our worship of God should always come before our request of God. That's what Jesus is doing. That's one of the things he's doing is he's reminding us that our worship of God in prayer should always come before our requests of God. All right? Think about this. When you, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, what are the first three? Think about it. Some of us never think about this. What's the first three things he tells us to pray? He says, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, your kingdom come and your will be done. What do all three of those prayers have in common? It's the word your. Those are God-centered, God-focused, God-exalting prayers. So we begin by asking God, I want, I want your name to be exalted. And then we say, God, I want your kingdom to come. And then we ask God, we want your will to be done. And only after we've prayed those three sort of God-centered, God-focused, God-exalting prayers do we turn our attention to ourselves. And then what do we pray? And then we turn the attention to us, start talking about what we need. Lord, give 
us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. And actually praying in that order makes a ton of sense. Makes a ton of sense to me. Because when we approach God in prayer and we don't start by focusing on him and his glory and his desires, but we just sort of jump in and start asking God to do stuff for us. What that subtly says to God is that my desires are more important than your glory. That's what it says. Like, hey God, just look at my college kids. I got a list for you. What that says is, God, my desires are more important than your glory. And over and over and over again in this book, what moves the heart of Almighty God are men and women that seek first the glory of his name. And when God sees that, it moves his heart. Think about this, think about this, think about this. I was thinking about this. What if one of my children, let's let's pick Sammy, because I like to pick on Sammy, and so uh, he's 16, so let's, let's imagine that, uh, because he doesn't have a job, and uh, so let's imagine Sammy walks up to me one day, and he, he needs 20 bucks, because he wants to go to a movie or something. And so um, he walks up and he says, hey, Dad, give me 20 bucks. How am I going to respond to that? I'm not just going to say no. But I'm going to look at him and go, Boy, go get a job. Are you kidding me? I'm gonna be like, did your mom drop you on your head or something and didn't tell me about it when you were little? I'm gonna be like, hey, dude, you need to remember something. I let you live in my house. You've forgotten, so go get a job. No, you can't have 20 bucks. Y'all think I'm joking, but I'm not joking. That's exactly what I'd say. Imagine the second scenario. What if he approached me like this? Walks up and says, Father, First of all, I want to begin this conversation by acknowledging that you are a good father. (laughs) And you are the one that helped give me life. And you have led and you have guided me from my youth. And dad, I just want to acknowledge in the very beginning that you are in charge and this is your money. And it is by your grace that I'm even allowed to live in your home. So however you answer my request, Father, I submit to you because I know in your infinite wisdom, your choice will always be what's best for my life. So Father, would you please consider in your infinite wisdom and grace to give me $20? (laughs) Right? Now I'm joking here. And I'm not saying we need to butter up God. But if he actually did that with sincerity, which they never would, but if they just imagine that if they actually did that with sincerity, which one of those two scenarios is going to move my heart? It's going to be the second one every single time. So we always need to come to the Lord in prayer with the primary desire of our heart, not to get our desires met, but for him to be worshiped and exalted and glorified and lifted high through our lives. And so that's reason number one, praying first for God's name to be hallowed, reminds us that our worship of God should always come before our personal crest of God. Here's reason number two, praying first for God's name to be hallowed aligns our hearts with the primary purpose of our lives. And so if Jesus prayed that prayer, um, God, I want your name to be exalted. If Jesus prayed that prayer to align his mind and heart with the primary purpose of his life, then we should pray that prayer to align our hearts and our minds with the primary purpose of our lives, which is to know God and then to exalt his name 
through our lives to glorify, to lift up, to make seen, to make first the name of Jesus. First heard that this text preached on when I was in college at Central Baptist Church and Brian, Chris Osborne taught it. Changed my life. Never thought about the idea that the primary purpose of my life was to make Jesus known and to glorify him and to lift his name. Never thought about it. Never crossed my mind. And when I heard that sermon, it radically changed me. There's very few days that go by that I don't pray some form of the prayer, Lord, I ask you that your name would be exalted through my life. Lord, I pray that your name would be lifted above my name. God, I pray that your name, the name of Christ, the name of the Father would be lifted above the name of Sage Mont Church. There, I don't, I'm not always per- perfect with this, but there are very few decisions that I face in my life that I don't filter through the lens of, am I really doing this for Jesus or am I doing it for me? Am I doing it so that I'll be seen or am I doing it so that Jesus will be seen? It changed my life. Uh, and, and on top of that, it didn't just change my life, but it, it really and truly changed my ministry. I think when I was younger, before this really sunk in, I, you know, I really did. I, I wanted, I, I, everything I did, I wanted to be for Jesus. I wanted his name to be exalted. I desperately desired that. But there was still a part of my life that thought, you know, it'd be really cool if people knew me. And, you know, I'm talking when I was in my 20s that people knew me and I got invited to go preach at the conferences and got to, you know, write books and all that stuff. That'd be pretty cool, right? Well, there's this thing that happened to me that really helped me to let that go and realize the futility of pointing people to me, my legacy, my ministry. It's actually a quote, and then something that happened in my previous church. There's a quote from this guy named Nicholas von Zinzendorf. Ladies, aren't you glad that you didn't marry a guy named von Zinzendorf? Can you imagine? You think you got a bad name? Imagine going home. Mom, I fell in love. What's his name? His last name's von Zinzendorf, right? That'd be hard to write, but that's what happened to von Zinzendorf's wife, but he had this amazing quote, and he's talking about this. This is the quote about Like in life, don't seek your own glory, but seek the glory of the name of God. And here's the quote, it's a simple one. Preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. That doesn't really define our Instagram culture, does it? Christian, preach the gospel. Die. Go to the house. Who cares if anybody remembers you? But still deep down inside, I thought, man, it'd be cool if I had a legacy like Spurgeon, you know, or Whitfield or all that stuff. But then something happened that really showed me just how dumb that is. It was in the early days of the Austin Stone. This was like 2004. It was a long time ago. It's almost 20 years ago now. And I was, um, I was doing this Bible study for about 100 college kids, and I gave an illustration from a preacher named Adrian Rogers. Now, young people, y'all just heard the older people go, mm. Y'all never heard of Adrian Rogers, have you? That's, God said, nope. And that's the point of my whole illustration. Adrian Rogers, with the exception of Charles Spurgeon, is the greatest Baptist preacher that's ever lived. And I'm doing this illustration. They're looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, do y'all, do y'all know? I stopped. I was like, y'all know who Adrian Rogers is? Raise your hand if you know who Adrian Rogers is. Nobody raise your hand. Now, I'm talking about, I'm giving an illustration here. And so, <laughs> I know y'all do. I'm talking to the college kids. 
let's go back. 2004, I'm like, 2004 college kids, how many of y'all know who Adrian Rogers are? And not one of them raised their hand, and I went, what? This dude was the most famous preacher in the 70s and 80s. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, how many of y'all ever heard of W.A. Criswell? Pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, one of the biggest, fastest megachurches of the 70s and 80s, one of the first megachurches in America, preached all over the country. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people listened to him back in the day. Not one person raised their hand. I said, what about John Bassanio? Pastor First Baptist Houston, big hero of mine. Not one of them. That moment profoundly impacted my life because it hit me like a ton of bricks. That if 30 years after the ministry of the most famous preachers in this country, the younger generation had never even heard their names, they ain't gonna remember my name. And so I need to quit trying to get them to do it. It was one of the most freeing things I've ever experienced in my life. Something hit me like a ton of bricks that pointing people to me is a monumental waste of time. Preach the gospel. Die and be forgotten. It's a life whose primary driving force and primary driving desire is that the name of Jesus would be exalted. So let me ask you a question. Real quick, hang with me. Is that your greatest desire? I mean, like, think about your life. Like, how often do you think about that? Is that why you get up and go to work? Is that how you view your neighborhood? Is that how you view your school? Is that how you view everything you do, regardless of what you do? Businessman, businesswoman, stay-at-home mom, student, athlete, whatever you do, all in the world this means is that whatever you do, first and foremost, you do it for his glory and not yours. Whatever you do, you get up, your feet hit the floor, you address God for who he is, and then the first thing you're praying for that morning is, God, today, through my life, I want your name to be lifted high and exalted through me. Now, Here's the, here's the thing. There's one little important question that I want to ask you. And it's not, should you do this? Because the scripture is crystal clear that you should do this. Jesus is crystal clear that this is what you're supposed to pray. But the question I want you to think through is not, should you pray this prayer? But the question I want you to think through is, are you ready for God to answer that prayer? <laughs> are, you ready, are you really ready to like live that prayer out? for the name of Jesus to be given the highest place in your life because if you really are, if you're really ready for God to say yes, all right, I'm gonna do that, I've glorified my name, I'm gonna do it again through you, it's gonna, it's gonna change everything about your life. It's gonna, it's gonna change stuff like your finances, completely change your finances, right? You gotta think through, am I, am I using my finances and stewarding my finances first for his kingdom and his glory? Or am I stewarding my finances first for my kingdom and my glory? You start praying, God, I want your name to be exalted in my life. Stuff like that will start changing. It'll change the way you steward your time. 
If you really start asking God to be exalted through your life, all of a sudden you're gonna start looking at your time, not primarily as a way to build your kingdom and your name, but you're gonna start looking at your time as a way to primarily build his kingdom and his name. It'll change crazy stuff like how you talk to your spouse. It'll, it'll change things like what you're thinking about on your way to work. It's, it's gonna change the, the purpose of your job. I think God is totally okay with making money and building business and doing all that stuff, but are you doing it for him or are you doing it for you? Only you can answer that question. So I'll end today with this. Final reason, and we're almost done. Hang with me, just half a page of notes. I want this third and final reason why we should pray first that the name of Jesus should be exalted. And here it is, reason number three. Because praying first for God's name to be hallowed aligns our hearts with the primary purpose of our eternities. Okay, so not only does praying that prayer remind our hearts and remind our minds of the primary purpose we're supposed to be doing here on this planet which is to exalt the name of God but what it does is it reminds our hearts and prepares our hearts for what our primary purpose in eternity is going to be which is exalting and glorifying the name of God as a matter of fact right out of the blocks we do that listen to this Revelation 4 8 and the four living creatures Each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures, watch this, it says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, says the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power What they're saying there is, God, you and you alone are worthy to receive the highest place. God, you and you alone are worthy for your name to be hallowed. And they take their crowns and they throw them at the feet of Jesus. The scripture teaches us we're going to do the same thing. Did you know that you and I receive rewards for our time here on earth if you're a believer? There's five different crowns, not gonna go into them, don't have time, but there's five different crowns that you will receive as a reward for your time here on earth, and one of them is called the crown incorruptible. And it's a crown that the Lord's gonna give you for everything you did on this planet that wasn't for you, but was for him. And he's gonna take the crown, the crown incorruptible, and he's gonna say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and he's gonna Put the crown incorruptible on your hand. And the scripture says that what we do in that moment is we bow down and we take the crown off of our heads and we lay them at his feet. It's a way of us saying, God, from the very beginning, this wasn't about me. This was about you. This was all because of you. Everything I did, it was all for you. And so every single time that you get down on your knees in your prayer closet or, and you bow down and you say, my father, 
in heaven. I ask you today that your name would be exalted in my life. That your name, your name, God, would be lifted above my name. That when people see me, Lord, they see you. That it wouldn't be about me. That it would be about you. Every time you do that in this life, you are simply practicing for the day, which is going to be the best day. That you bow before Almighty God and take the crown off your head, lay it at his feet, and say, worthy are you for your name to be hallowed. So, let's do that. Let's practice. And let's, for the rest of our lives, not just, let that not just be something we pray. Let's, let's be a church, let's be a people that that's like the cry of our hearts.